0: Um, tonight's Bible reading will be from three passages, the first one will start with Mark chapter 5, we're reading through uh, verse 21 to 43. So you can find on page 800 and 8, 816 of the Pew Bible. When Jesus had to cross again in a boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came and when he saw him fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly. My little daughter is a point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and leave. So he went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. And now there was a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes?" And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing on you. How can you say, Who touched me? He looked all around to see who has done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher anymore? By overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, they saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put him all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha come, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was twelve years of age. At these they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know these and told them to give her something to eat. Um, the second reading is one from one Timothy one, and we're reading from chapter uh, sorry verse twelve to seventeen. I am grateful to Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he judged me faithful and appointed me to his service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor and a man of violence, but I received mercy because I had acted ignoringly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is sure and is worthy of a full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the foremost but for that very reason I received mercy so that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might display the utmost patience making me an example to those who would come to believe in him for eternal life to the king of the ages immortal invisible the only God be honor and glory forever and ever amen um the last reading is from james and we're reading in chapter 5 and verses 7 to 11 be patient therefore beloved until the coming of the lord the farmer waits for the precious crop from the earth being patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains you also must be patient Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Beloved, do not grumble against one another, so that you may, be, you may not be judged. See the judges standing at the doors. As example of suffering and impatience, beloved, take the prophets who spoke in the names of the Lord. Indeed, we call blessed to blessed those who show endurance. You have heard of the endurance of Job. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful.
1: Well, as Ali mentioned, uh, we've been looking at the fruit of the Spirit so far, love and joy and peace. These last three weeks, we've heard the call of God's word on our lives to be uh, conformed to Christ by the power of the Spirit. And uh, what, as I say, the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 5 calls the fruit of the Spirit, this sort of beautiful harvest of a life lived really, really well. And love and joy and peace, the first three of those fruit are appropriately spiritual sounding, don't you think? They're they're the kinds of things that spirituality ought to be about, love and joy and peace. But today we come to something far more ordinary far more mundane, far more concrete and specific, far more Monday morning, if you like, right in the he- heart of your everyday experience, something that you've had to exercise this morning, something that you've had to exercise this afternoon, and I suspect something that you'll have to exercise in about the next time you start talking to people, right? about an hour's time, no, not an hour's time. It's not that long a sermon. Um, every hour of every day will call upon you to be a person of patience. And and that's true for a very simple reason, um, which is that you are far less in control of your life and your circumstances than you would like to believe. The plain truth is that uh, we keep telling ourselves, if only I could really get organized, if only I could seriously get focused and disciplined then I might just be able to control my world and nothing will go wrong and everything would go according to plan and it would all be good. And it's a total myth. It's a complete myth. The world is just stubbornly disinterested in your personal preferences. And in that kind of world, being a person of patience is actually going to be crucial. I've talked to a number of people during the course of the week about uh, the sermon uh, this week, uh, patience, and um, quite a few people have said to me, oh, yeah, patience, you know, it's not not one of my top ten things. uh, You know, it's not a a biggie, is it? Um, Don't think that. You better not think that. You need patience more than you can tell. Uh, In part, that's because our modern culture is arguably the least capable of producing patience in people Um, uh, think about it the the whole kind of um, practice of uh, consumerism uh, the speed of delivery uh, is crucial one company can get it to you today another company can get it to you this morning and the first company it goes out of business it's just like that speed matters the speed of the internet waiting for even portions of seconds I mean how long have you waited while you've done keyboard entry clicks and your computer's just yet to catch up for portions of seconds, and you can start to feel the steam coming up and out of your ears. Um, When technology works, you compose that email, actually it's not an email anymore, you compose that tweet or that text, and you hit send, that ugly little, and boom, out it goes, right in the middle of your anger. Um, Years ago, pre-technology, you know what you had to do? There was this thing called a typewriter. And you had to type it, one sort of like this, and then it would come out on a page, and then you'd have to go and put it in this other thing called an envelope. That's what your mailbox icon looks like, an envelope. That's what it is, an envelope. And then you'd have to take it to a place and stick it physically like in this red box. It was crazy. And you could think about it all that time. And so you sent far less stupid emails to people that just made things worse. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm all for technology. I love ebooks arriving in a matter of seconds after I buy them. All I'm just pointing out is that our modern world not only doesn't help you to be patient, I'd suggest it actively cultivates impatience in us. And that's a problem. It really is a problem. It's a problem because without patience, real life will be diminished. Things like friendship, uh, things like making a contribution to a workplace or a community, uh, something like a marriage, and especially uh, being a parent. In all of these arenas of real life, patience is crucial to make it through. Uh, In September 2015, um, Psychology Today magazine ran an article about the increasing rate of tertiary students asking for treatment for all sorts of anxiety and anger and depression and addiction issues. Their conclusion was that young adults were becoming much less resilient. And um, listen to how they put it. I think this is a really uh, brilliant kind of summary. They said, there's no psychic middle ground. Frustration catapults into crisis. don't think that's just a, a very pithy diagnosis there's no middle ground on the one hand there's there's happiness everything's just going along smoothly everything's just good it's all swimmingly and then something happens some frustration some disappointment some irritant and boom it catapults you not just into being sort of a little bit disappointed No, what the study found was that there was no capacity to sit in that middle ground. It was was happiness or crisis. That was it. They were the only two options that these young people could find. They just couldn't handle frustration and live in that psychic middle space. You know what that middle space is? That's the place of patience. Not melting down, not giving up, holding on, holding on to yourself. And we have a cultural problem. And the question becomes, how do we cultivate patience? This patience, which, as I suggest, is absolutely necessary. Uh, Say it again, you will never live a frustration-free, totally organised, neat and clean, irritant, evacuated life. That's just not going to happen. And if that's what you're hanging out for, if that's what you think, if you just get enough power in your life, enough control, then that's what you're working towards, then you are headed for a catastrophe because you simply cannot bend reality to to your will like that. It is a losing strategy. All it takes is a few micrograms of virus to smash you to the ground and you can't control that. It's a losing strategy and the only way forward is to cultivate patience. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that has the spiritual power to sufficiently mould and form and knead your heart in such a way that you create that middle space that you need. And our final reading, James 5, is particularly potent in teaching us, uh, firstly, the contours of patience, as you see in uh, the mind map here. Secondly, the directions of patience. And then finally, the objects of patience. And then we're going to wrap it up. Uh, with some conclusions. All right, then. Firstly, the contours of patience. Uh, James leads with a a simple instruction. He just tells you what to do. Be patient, therefore, beloved, until the coming of the Lord. But, of course, he doesn't leave it there, and he goes on to provide two illustrations of patience. The first one is the farmer. Uh, Middle East, uh, of course, is a particularly harsh environment, uh, a, a very difficult agricultural climate, Uh, typically extremely hot and dry, you can't grow anything there and you certainly won't get to a harvest there unless you wait for the autumn and the spring, that is the early and the late rains. And sometimes the rain doesn't come when you're ready for it. And it doesn't come. And it doesn't come. And if you're impatient, and if you don't wait for the rains, then you lose everything. You fail to be patient with life and the pace at which real life happens. The second illustration that James uses though is more specific, it's of uh, the prophets and particularly of Job. And the point here is that this is not just the ordinary business of life when things are more difficult than they really need to be, rain coming one week later than you would have liked it. No, this is circumstances of real challenge. This is pain, and suffering, and in the case of Job, of course, deep, devastating pain. Now, we'll come back in a moment to the differences between these two examples and how they point to um, in, uh, two different um, directions of patience. But for the moment, what is it that they have in common? What do these two illustrations teach us about patience? And it's very important that we're careful here because um, you can easily confuse patience Uh, with an ancient philosophy which is having a bit of a a kind of modern resurgence actually, an ancient philosophy called Stoicism. Uh, You may may have heard of the the, the Stoic. Uh, The Stoic person is the person who just doesn't let things get to them. They're just kind of Stoic under uh, pain or difficulty or frustration. Um, But the the true Stoic um, does that by learning to take an utterly impersonal view an utterly impersonal view of all the situations of life. The great Stoic thinker and leader, Marcus Aurelius, uh, put it like this. He said, You must consider the doing and perfecting of what the universal nature decrees in the same light as your health, and welcome all that happens, even if it seems harsh, because it leads to the health of the universe, the welfare and well-being of Zeus. Zeus. And here's the kind of classic Stoic line for, he would not have allocated this to anyone if it were not beneficial to the whole. Do you see what um, Stoicism really uh, depends on? What this is saying is that from your own personal perspective, ill health or setbacks Uh, or breakdowns of of endeavour or relationship, misfortune of one kind or another, that's all a bad thing from your personal perspective, but the key is to ditch your personal perspective, to adopt the universe's perspective, because from the universe's point of view, all those private bad things are just part of the beautiful mosaic that makes up the whole life of the universe. Your, Your personal misfortune, well... It's nothing personal. It's not about you, says the Stoic. The universe isn't personal. And the things that happen to you, you should just resign yourself to because they're just a part of the great, big, beautiful tapestry of the whole. So suck it up and be Stoic and just cope. Now, do you see how at first glance it's quite attractive uh, in some ways? If you'd actually managed to do that, if you could meet the disappointments of life with that kind of stoic coping. But do you realize the cost in it? Notice how James ends his reflection on the prophets and Job in verse 11 with these words. "Uh, You've heard of the endurance of Job and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is... Compassionate and merciful. See, that's the opposite of Stoicism, isn't it? That's not giving up on a personal beating heart of love at the centre of reality, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. The Lord is merciful and compassionate. What, what James is putting before us here is even, even if you're Job, even if your sufferings kind of get even into the same galaxy as Job's sufferings, you can have the inner conviction that no matter what it looks like to you, no matter what your circumstances are screaming out to you, God is compassionate. God is merciful. And patience comes from precisely that inner peace that knows that God has his good purpose And he has never, and he will never, and he is not now letting you go out of his compassion and his mercy. He is the opposite of indifferent and impersonal. And so here's what patience is. When you know God as the God of graciousness, uh, sorry, as the God of compassion and mercy, it means that you'll be able to be gracious and steadfast in the face of frustration and disappointment and delayed gratification. That's what patience is. That you can be gracious and steadfast. That you don't, you don't let go. You don't get knocked off course. You don't turn into someone difficult just because things aren't going your way. Gracious and steadfast in the face of frustration and disappointment and delayed gratification. Gratification of course, uh, it's pretty clear, therefore, what the opposite of patience is, isn't it? D- and do you recognise this at all in your flatmate? I mean, no, yourself. Irritability. Grumbling. Complaining. Demanding. Stomping on inanimate objects as though they're out to get you. I have the opportunity to exercise patience every Sunday morning. It's kind of a little ritual that I have when I get to church here, about 20 to 8, because we have an 8 o'clock service. And you may have noticed that there are two holes either side. There are four holes here in the center. Uh, And the reason for that is that these holes have plugs in them, which we take out. And there are brass um, handrails over here, because the uh, elderly folk in our 8 o'clock congregation like to hold onto a handrail when they come up to communion and then go back down the steps to communion. And this is a really great idea. It was my idea, actually. right? This is my idea. This is a self-inflicted wound. So I thought, let's put these holes here, and let's have the, the brass you know, handrails. And every, every morning at 8 o'clock, Richard, who was also setting things up, but somehow he's never setting up the brass handrails, now that I think about it. The problem is that the holes are one fiftieth of a millimeter smaller than the handrails. And so every Sunday morning, I have to get these wretched brass handrails and lean all of my 45 kilograms on top of it <laughs> in order to get these. And, and it's amazing how, how, infuri- how personal an enemy a brass handrail can become. Because it takes 12 rather than three seconds to get them in their holes. Now, I'm I'm sure that you, you don't have any kind of experience of that kind of irritability with inanimate objects, let alone with people, let alone with people. Grumbling a complaining spirit, irritability, is actually a dreadfully clear window into the disordered state of our souls. This issue of patience, it's not a small issue. It's it's not like a berry on the fruit of the spirit. You know, there's great big watermelons, and then there's patience. No, this one's a big one. Which leads uh, to the second and third points, uh, namely the directions of patience, and then the objects of patience. First, the directions of patience. See, the two illustrations that James uses uh, actually uh, Use two different Greek words for patients, and those two different Greek words correspond to two kinds of patients or patients um, exercised in two different directions. Uh, the first one is in verse 7, and it's the word makrothumia. Uh, this word, translated patience very often, uh, literally means uh, long, macrothumia, long suffering, long feeling, long tempered, perhaps, long desired, uh, not short tempered. But then there's another word used down in verse 11 talking about Job and the prophets and James writes, we call blessed those who showed endurance. And the word endurance there is uh, translated patience elsewhere in the New Testament and out of the Greek literature. It's literally the word hypomania. Um, It's a word that means something like mania stand um, and hypo to to stand. It, it's something like the kind of patience that you need to exercise under the extreme weight on top of you, right? When it's pressing down on you, but nonetheless, when it's you're under it, you're still standing. That pressure of real pain and real suffering. It takes a special sort of patience to live in those circumstances. So the, the first one, macrothemia, is what you might call patience with life. And as uh, I said earlier... Um, our consumer society does everything it can to feed your impatience. Everything has to be faster, everything has to be more tailored and customised for you. Every possible option needs to be made available for your selection at the click of a button. But the fact of the matter is, of course, that nothing really worth anything is available with one click. No relationship of value can be formed by one click. Sure, there are some one-click relationships. Uh, We call them Uh, networking or now it's one swipe isn't it hooking up but but any relationship that's actually going to sustain any relationship that's going to form you any relationship that is of any substance at all will take enormous amounts of time real input over the long run It, it might start very briefly but it can't continue like that any skill will take serious investment. Any ability to achieve anything in life in your particular sphere, any perfecting of a practice. You don't learn to play the piano in 15 minutes or 15 hours or 15 months. It takes years and you have to have patience in life with your fumbling fingers, let alone the skills to to make a living, to achieve something, to build a business, to develop an expertise, to establish yourself in your field. If you don't have patience, you just won't walk along the grains of reality, will you? Because that's how life is. And at the same time, it's just the case that traffic lights sometimes go red even when you're approaching. Right? I mean, I know it's outrageous and appalling thought that you, you are approaching and the traffic light goes red. It's just the case that not everyone keeps a zero inbox. I I know, I share your outrage. Come and see my Xero inbox here. It's looking pretty good at the moment and I can show you it afterwards. But if they don't get back to you as quickly as you'd like, then I guess what you can do is you can blow up and get cranky or you can macrothermia. You can have long feeling. You can have long suffering. You can have a long fuse rather than a short fuse. You don't allow your circumstances to catapult you into crisis. You see that? But there's a second type of patience as well, which we see here, patience under suffering. And it's much harder. What we're talking about here is real grief and loss. It's no surprise that James mentions uh, the the prophets here and Job. Uh, Read Job, and uh, the first thing that kind of stands out to you uh, is that he's the exact opposite of stoic, by the way. He is, he's screaming, he's, he's outraged, he's tub-thumping. It, Job is no stoic by any stretch of the imagination. Read the prophets, say, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, he wasn't stoic in the slightest. They lamented, they they exploded. But here's the thing. The prophets never stopped preaching. And Job never stopped praying. And that gives you the clue to what this second type of patience is. This hypomenaya patience, patience under suffering is that you don't allow the suffering to knock you off course entirely. You don't allow the suffering to turn you in on yourself. You don't permit yourself to become self-absorbed and self-piteous and cynical and bitter. Suffering wins when you just go into yourself more and more. I can't pray. I can't get out. I can't be with people. I don't want to be with people. I just want to crawl up into a ball and stop. That's suffering winning. Patience under suffering is not some kind of Buddha-like inner calm when your world is going up in smoke. No, no, it just means that you don't let it turn you into a self-absorbed being. You love God and you talk to him and you love your neighbours and you talk to them. You just keep on. You hoopo stand. You're not knocked down by it. The prophets kept preaching, and Job kept praying, and you keep doing your thing. Um, I I could tell you many, many, many stories now of people who have had terrible decades. Terrible decades. 10 years straight of relentlessly hard times. Marriages of utter and undiluted misery. Health issues that struck and stuck. Disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. And I could could tell you the stories of these people who hupo minnowed through a decade of disappointment and pain. Patient throughout for a decade. And who eventually come out the other end but you ask them at year two or at year five or at year seven how they're going and they would they would share the words of, of job or the prophets this is hard but i'm not giving up and i'm not going to let it grind me into the dust It's not going to knock me off course. I'm going to stand under it. We'll come back in a moment to how you can do that. Relates to the second axis of patience, um, who we are patient with, the objects of patience. And you need to have two objects of your patience um, exercised uh, towards two different um, things, really, with people and with God. With people, um, remember that idea of the psychic or psychological middle space, um, I, I want to suggest you that there's also the kind of corresponding relationship middle space. It, it's really true that you shouldn't just let injustice be done to you, it's really true at one extreme that there are times when you need to stand up for yourself, when you need to define yourself, where you say this is okay and you say this is not okay. That's absolutely true. And there there are times when relationships are just ordinary and normal and happy. But at the same time, there is an enormous amount of space in the middle when things are not particularly happy, but nor is there anything particularly that you should do about it. And in that relationship middle space, patience is absolutely crucial. You've got to be patient with people. The Apostle Peter reflects... This, when he says that love covers a multitude of sins. Uh, when someone is uh, insensitive to you, just doesn't kind of include you the way that you, that, you know, they don't send the email that gets you in the second round or, or, or you just weren't sort of brought in to, to begin with. Someone's insensitive, you, you have the option to, to kind of call that person out and, and to pull them up and to really give them a, and to tell them about it and, and you can do that if you like. Every time, someone's insensitive to you. Or you can cover their sin with your love. Because love covers a multitude of sins. When someone slights you, when people let you down, you can can assert yourself every time, or here's another version of it, you can withdraw in a kind of passive-aggressive. That's that's more fun, actually, isn't it? The whole passive-aggressive one? Make them beg. That's what you want. Make them beg. You can do that if you like. You can allow frustration to catapult the relationship into crisis if you want. But if you do that, you'll be a very lonely person. You have to have patience towards people and live in that relationship middle space. It means you won't grumble about people. James reflects on that, right? Don't grumble. It's astonishingly significant advice to notice how much you grumble about things. You won't grumble about people, you won't grumble to them, and especially you won't grumble about them to others. You'll write that email and then you won't send it. I cannot tell you what a helpful practice it is. There are many of you who have not received emails that I've written to you. And it's a good thing too, because I have crappy emails on my part. You write the email, and then you don't send it. You get others to look at it, and you choose a better way. Um, if if you are patient with people, it means you won't dwell on things when others have wronged you. Do, you. do you know this experience where someone does something, you you think about it, and you 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 fantasize about the moment where you say, and it's always going to be like it is in the movies, right? The way the the movies work, someone does something wrong, someone blasts them, and the other person says, you're right. Thank you so much for doing that. I really appreciate your honest and firm words. As if that ever happens. Now you learn not to dwell on things when people have wronged you. You don't make speeches up in your head. You let it go. And you also learn to say something like this. Who knows what that person is going through? I don't know what's happening for them right now. I don't actually know what's on their plate. And then if if you're being particularly insightful about yourself, you might also say something like, you know, it's not a a one-in-a-hundred-year experience for me to be insensitive or thoughtless either, now that I come to think about it. Do you see how these are the habits and practices of a relationally patient person. And unless you cultivate them, you'll just become a really isolated, cranky, impatient individual. It's a horrible way to live. Did I mention that patience is quite an important thing? But finally, you need to be patient with God. And um, this, of course, is the most important patience. Um, It's this patience that underlies your ability to be patient uh, in any other way or in any other kind of circumstance. And the the vice versa follows as well. It's impatience with God that underlies all other impatience in your life. It's very important to see it. That's why this is not just kind of a, uh, a good habit issue. Deep down, the question of patience is a profoundly spiritual issue. Notice that James twice refers to the connection between patience as a character trait and the coming of the Lord. Verse 7, be patient therefore beloved until the coming of the Lord. Uh, Verse 8, you also must be patient, strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. This this idea of the the coming of the Lord uh, is that Jesus Christ is coming again to judge the living and the dead. We, We affirm that in the creed. He's going to return, he's going to put everything to rights, he's going to wipe away every tear, He's going to fix every injustice. He's going to heal every disease, physical and mental. He's going to overcome every evil. He's going to do that. But not today. At least not at 7 o'clock on October the 21st, 2018. Today, well, today you're sick or you're sad you're the victim of someone else's abuse of power or injustice and bad things are happening and life's just not quite working the way you want it to Jesus is coming he will fix everything up but he's not doing it now and that's the problem isn't it that's the problem Because right there is the temptation to the ultimate impatience. The impatience that underlies all other impatience, impatience with God. Because what you're saying is, God, you know, I understand what has to happen and you're not doing it. And it's that attitude of heart, it's that stance of heart that leads to all other impatience demandingness, grumpiness, and irritability. And the flip side of it's true. It's patience with God, a recognition that your times are in His hands, and His hands are very safe, full of compassion and mercy. It's patience with God that will fuel and enable patience in any other direction or in any other circumstance every day something will go wrong something small perhaps sometimes it's huge things and in those moments you have two options you can say I trust you God I don't really understand this but that's what trust is of course it's when I don't understand and I trust you or you can say I trust my insight I trust my understanding of what needs to happen and it needs to happen now. And if you go down that second pathway, if you go down that route and become impatient with God, it will crush you. It will crush you. You won't stand. It will lead to every other kind and every other direction of impatience. So how do you grow impatience? What do you need to do? Let me suggest three um, very spiritually significant things. The first is you've got to process your pain in prayer. You have to process your pain in prayer. You don't have to pay much attention to the Bible to know that whether it's the prophets, whether it's Job, whether it's Jesus, whether it's the apostles, they all experience pain. They all have deep, deep suffering, the like of which uh, you and I are very uh, unlikely to face. But the thing is, they never stop talking to God. They never stop talking to God. Sure, the prophets have their doubts, but what do they do with their doubts? They take them to God. Job is a screaming heap at times, but he's screaming at God. Jesus sweats blood as he prays to the Father. If you stop praying, everything is lost. The best you can be is a stoic kind of hard-bitten, cold, indifferent, stoic. That's the best you can be. More likely you just become cynical and bitter. If you keep prayer going, if you keep enacting your trust that the one who is at the heart of all reality is compassionate and merciful, whether or not you can see it right now, then it will be the foundation for everything else. You say, yourself, I just don't feel like praying today. Of course, you don't feel like praying today. Who cares what you feel like? The only way that you'll ever hyperstand is to process your pain through prayer. But the second thing, and we touched on this a little uh, a moment ago is that patience will always be born out of a decisive act of humility. Um, James reflects on this a little earlier in chapter 4 when he asks how we should talk about the future. And um, he urges us not to say, here's what I will do tomorrow. Um, Instead, he writes, say, if the Lord wills, here's what I will do tomorrow. And he gives a reason the reason he gives is that you don't know what even tomorrow will bring. You don't know. In other words, what James is saying is that impatience and anger and um, all of that sort of stuff that eats you up inside, it comes from an assumption that you make, which is that you do know, that you do understand, that you can tell God how things ought to be, what has to happen and when it has to happen and when it doesn't happen, That's impatience. And the only way you'll cultivate patience in your life is this decisive act of humility which says, I don't know. I don't understand. And that's okay. And so you let go of demandingness. And you trust You trust the God of compassion and mercy. And you have a reason to trust because Jesus Christ had patience with you and with me. Hebrews chapter 13 speaks of the cross of Christ. uh, The author writes that Jesus endured the cross, despising its shame. And that word for endure, guess what? It's the same word translated... uh, Endurance there, as we translated in uh, James, it's hypomeno. He patiented the cross. He had the patience under suffering, the patience of the cross. He endured it, despising its shame, not letting that knock him off course. He stood under it. And he did it, the, the author writes, for the joy that was set before him, You know who that is? That's us. That's us, his people. He was patient under suffering so that the Father can be infinitely patient with us in all of our sins. That he will never let an end come to his mercy and compassion. And that is as certain as the empty tomb. And so you can trust him. You can trust him that when he says he will come again and that he will set all things to rights, he will do that. There is an end coming. There is an end to patience. And so in the meantime, you can have the capacity in the ordinary frustrating business of life and in the huge catastrophic disasters in life to stand to stand under the pressure and to be patient for the long haul. And when you do that, you'll become this incredibly beautiful person, this rare person, for whom troubles just makes them greater and greater. Um, Job uh, brings us all together in this really lovely passage. I'm sure I've read this, but it was only this week kind of highlighting it that it kind of stood out to me. Um, This is Job chapter 23, verses 8 to 10. Listen to what Job writes. Job 23, 8 to 10. Job says, if I go forward, he is not there. Speaking of God. Or or backward, I cannot perceive him. Uh, on, On the left, he hides and I cannot behold him. I turn to the right, but I cannot see him. But he knows the way I take and when he has tested me, I shall come out like gold. Do, do, you, do you feel, I mean, I think feel's a word here, right? Do you apprehend in your heart what Job is saying here? It's so beautifully saying, I've no idea what God is doing in my life. I don't have the faintest clue. I go forward, he's not there. I go backward, he's not there. I go left or right. I've got no idea where he is. I can't find him. I don't know. But he knows. I can't find him, but he finds me. I don't understand him. But he understands me and when he's done with me, I shall come out like gold. That's the fruit. That's the power of patience.